This podcast episode talks about kidnapping, renal failure, cancer, and loss of a loved one. These are our personal stories, and we are not mental health professionals. This is not a substitute for professional medical advice and should not be relied on as health or personal advice. Thank you for joining us at And Life Happened. Today, we are joined by Bud. He is going to share his resiliency story with the passing of his spouse, Cheryl. Bud, tell us your story. Um, well, thanks for having me on. I appreciate the uh, platform to uh, kind of discuss this. So um, I kind of start off, uh, I grew up in Nebraska um, and I moved here, um, you know, the start of my ninth grade year in high school. But, you know, going up in Nebraska, you know, my family life was uh, just a little, little challenging. My dad was a pretty bad alcoholic and I was one of those kids where I, was, I really wish my parents would get a divorce because I think life would have been better. Mm-hmm. Um, and just because of how difficult it was and stuff with them. And then um, I think one of the important things that happened to me when I was a kid, um, I was kidnapped on mm-hmm. Thanksgiving night, 1981, by an escaped mm-hmm. convict from the, universe, or from the state of Nebraska penitentiary and uh, had a knife held at my throat. Um, you know, it was a pretty harrowing ordeal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I talked a lot and the more I talked, um, I don't want to get too deep into it, but just the more that I talked, the close, the farther the knife got away from my throat. And fortunately mm-hmm. through God, I, I felt like I was really not going to make it out of there as a 10 year old boy. And I thought, well, this was quick. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we were able to fortunately get away from him. And then that was kind of the downfall and unraveling of my parents. And I'm a mama's boy. I'm never leaving my mom. My mom is my rock. My mom is the person that, that was always there giving me love and supported me. She was the homeroom mom. Um, I just never wanted to do that and mm-hmm. leave my mom. Um, my older brother, though, came and uh, the night I had to make a decision, my older brother came and said, you know, you have a better shot probably with your dad at making it than staying with your mom because mom doesn't have the resources. Mom's not going to have the money. You're probably not going to finish high school. And so I up and moved to Arizona and Mm. I can kind of point back to that time as like this turning point. We hear about like sliding doors and people talking about, you know, what if, you know, like the whole matrix, you know, Mm -hmm. the red pill. And for me, it just changed my life coming out here. Um, And it kind of gave me, I could like reinvent myself. I could like refocus and change who I was a little bit because where I was at wasn't in a good spot. Um, So then I came to Arizona uh, went to uh, Moon Valley High School, 1986, graduated in 1990, go Rockets. Um, <laughs> but uh, so that was my freshman year. I, I, I just was trying to fit in, trying to figure out where I needed to go. And then sophomore year, um, I had uh, history class. And I remember walking into history class and um, my good friend, Chad Swinford, was sitting across the table. I played football with you, sitting on the other side of the room, and there's this real cute girl in front of him. <laughs> and I was just like, oh man, I got to know who that girl is. So whenever we'd had a break or whatever, I'd go over and sit next to Chad so I could talk to him. But then hopefully every once in a while I could talk to this cute girl. And that was Cheryl. Um, and Cheryl was just back then, even she was just full of life and um, just an incredible, happy person. I mean, just, you know, never knew any of the challenges that, that girl faced. You know, here I am, you know, 14 year old, and it's her first year back, sophomore school. Um, She just came back from fighting. Well, she actually had, um, let me backtrack a little. Cheryl had um, medullary cystic renal failure when she was diagnosed when she was 10. So by the time I met her, she already had four years of battle with kidney failure and kidney transplants. And she had, four kidney transplants by the time she was a sophomore in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, they just kept rejecting. And you would have never known this though. You, you meet this girl and she's just full of life and energy and happy and laughing. And she looked healthy and she just was, you know, just awesome. So it was like a year in that class or nine months, whatever school is. Right. Mm-hmm. And constantly hanging out. If the, if I had a flat top back then, I'm bald now, but I'm old, <laughs> but she'd always mix up my hair or something like that. It'd be 
do something. And we'd always have a little kind of a little flirt thing going, but I would always ask her out if she'd go out with me and she'd never go out with me for that whole year. I like wanted to go on a date with her. I'd call and we'd talk on the phone and she just like really was standoffish. Um, sorry. And so finally I called one summer during summer and I said, Hey, what are you doing? She said, trying to find a cigarette. I'm like, well, my dad smokes. What do you want? I'll bring you some. Um, <laughs> not that I smoked or anything. And I said, so we got there and she never really smoked. She just thought she was being cool, you know, never really mm. smoked a lot or anything like that. Kind of like what all high school kids, I think they all try it, you know. Um, but then we started dating and it was great. And I became this crazy, overpossessed teenager and was like, oh my God, she's so great. I don't ever want to <laughs> let anybody talk to her because they might figure out that I'm not the best thing for her in my head. Because <laughs> you know, my self-esteem was not great. And, and, uh, you know, I was worried as like, wow. And then she finally told me one day where she's like, you just got to give me space. And I'm like, oh, mm. here it comes. Mm. So she broke up with me for, and I was just devastated. I said, mm. and I was stalking back when stalking wasn't really like known as stalking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like drive by, maybe I'll get to see her or something. And then, uh, one day I took, uh, I saved up some money and this was back before you could go to Fry's and get roses for $10. You know, you had to go to the flower shop uh-huh. and I saved up some money. And I got six, six, flowers, six, half a dozen roses. And I took them over there one night, knocked on the door and my hands were shaking. And I asked if Cheryl was home. Um, her mom brought me into the house and she said, Oh, you poor thing. Look at you shaking. I was oh. gave Cheryl these flowers and um, she was getting ready to go out on a double date with a friend of hers. And I was just devastated. I was like, wow, you really screwed this up. And I just kind of left sulking with my head between, you know, tail between my legs. And, uh, I was just bummed. And then the next morning I get a call from Cheryl and she's like, I think we should get back together. And mm-hmm. it was like, oh man, this is amazing. And from there it was just, it was great because I, I realized that I didn't have to have these insecurities that she wanted to hang with me and be with me. And I thought, wow, this is great. And I never knew at that time where my life was going to go. I mean, you're a junior in high school. I mean, Mm -hmm. what do you think? You know, but I really felt like she was the one and I knew she was the one. And, um, it was pretty, it was life-changing. Um, because then all of a sudden it was just like, I had this whole other person in my life that I loved and cared about. And the challenge though, for Cheryl was, is she never let anybody get too close because she never wanted anybody to know that she was on dialysis so she was at this time she's running kidney dialysis three days a week uh-huh. and um her mom would take her to the dialysis and she would never let me uh take her and or pick her up or be anything with that because she thought it would just oh my god it's going to take a teenage boy and he's just going to run away he's like mm-hmm. he's never going to be around um yeah. but I, I at a young age i wanted to know more i wanted to i wanted to like well what's going on how can what is it teach me about it learn about it and I distinctly remember one day where I finally, she said, you can come pick me up at the clinic after she had treatment. And I got there and I sat in the waiting room and she's leaning out forward across the room and I can see her looking down the hallway and she waves me in. It was the first time I ever learned anything about what dialysis is. And I'm, Mm -hmm. you know, 16 years old and I'm like, whoa, what's going on? But it opened my eyes a lot, but it also wanted me to help figure out, even at a young age, you know, I wanted to figure out what was going on here. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's all I ever wanted to do was spend time with Cheryl. She just made life so easy and she's just so full of life and it was great. So, you know, I played football. We continued, she continued to do dialysis and life just seemed to be like normal. I mean, she, you know, she'd have a bad day, but this girl never complained about bad days. Like she's never been one of those people that would go on and even like, in, not, not, we didn't have Facebook back then, but like somebody yeah. always asked her how she's doing. She was always all righty. Okay. I'm good, you know, and and you could be just like, you're not good. I know you're not good, but she just had this ability to just put on this thing because she's like, everybody has problems, bud, and they don't need to hear all my problems. And a lot of times people are asking you how you're doing and it's more conversational. And, and, mm-hmm. and the last thing somebody all of a sudden, when somebody says, how are you doing? And then somebody goes, oh my God, I'm glad somebody asked me that finally. And then you just go, blah, and you dump everything on them. And they're literally, mm-hmm. you can just see their face like, that's not what I was expecting mm-hmm. and stuff. So um, 
you know, we graduated high school. We stayed together, sweethearts, all through high school. Um, went to college, uh, at Glen at Glendale Community College. Uh, Cheryl wanted to get into nursing. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, and, you know, so about two years in, um, she got a call for a uh, kidney transplant. And it was like, wow, you know, you get that call and it's like, it's just life changing then. And then you now, now the whole other stress ball starts. And so, um, you know, she gets called down for the kidney transplant. She gets that kidney transplant, knock on wood, things went great. Um, we continued through college. Um, and then we were like in our junior year of college and I was like, Hey, let's get married. <laughs> you know? And she's like, well, when you graduate college, we can get married is what she told me. Mm -hmm. Um, she goes, I don't want you to have any other distractions because she knew we had a lot as it was. So, um, so then I worked hard. I wanted to make sure I get through college because I knew this was the girl that I, this was my soulmate. You know, mm -hmm. this was, this was my soulmate. Like I knew that I had somebody special in my life and that I really truly felt that God said, this is the person that you, you need to be with. And mm -hmm. I think we both felt blessed in that regard. And right when she got into clinicals for nursing, when she got into ASU mm -hmm. for nursing school, which was really tough um her kidney failed mm -hmm. and this was number five I think mm -hmm. maybe six um uh her kidney failed um so she ran dialysis three days a week and then she um you know she she went and did clinicals uh at the same time um and the whole time I'm just doing what I can to try to give her support and she's just a rock star she makes my life easy she even with everything that was difficult for us it just seemed like we could always we always were a team and we always worked together to get through stuff and um you know everybody thinks that transplants are these life-saving things for you like oh my gosh it's just a life somebody got a kidney and you get a kidney mm -hmm. transplant you never have to worry about it again oh it's just so so wrong because um, most of the drugs that they give you, um, is, you know, toxic to kidneys mm -hmm. and they're getting better, but they all cause, you know, some kind of damage at some point in time. Mm -hmm. So for me, you know, it was just a matter of, I was always trying to stay, you know, Cheryl always joked around and she called me Pollyanna <laughs> because I, I would wake up in the morning and I would be whistling Dixie and singing and I'd sing in the shower and I would, you know, everything was good. Like I would just try to view life as positive as I could. I try to, you know, I woke up that day. I feel great. Um, it probably goes all the way back to when I was a kid at 10 years old. I just felt like every day I've ever had is a blessing. Um, and then you meet somebody and you realize, oh my God, I never want to ever, ever leave this person again. And I'm going to do whatever I can to try to help this person um, overcome whatever challenges she has. But you know, she was so good at just living. I mean, she just really did such a great job. There was never a, uh, and she made, it was, it was, you know, like I have on here, like on my notes, like love dialysis transplant repeat, because that's what it was. It was like, mm. it was our life for years. There's nothing but, you know, our love that we had, we had to run dialysis and then repeat. And so, you know, Cheryl, ended up unfortunately we ended up losing that kidney and then she got fell out of the nursing program because it was too difficult and just to maintain with dialysis um and so then you know fast forward um seven kidney transplants mm -hmm. um which is actually a, a world record not something that you want to have mm -hmm. um and i remember distinctly that you know we, we were her last kidney transplant we were like it's failing. Hawaii was a place that we'd love to go to. Um, and she just felt so different in Hawaii. You know, she wanted, and when we went to Hawaii, she always wanted to serve. And, mm -hmm. um, and here's here, you know, we got there and one day I was like, well, let's go surfing. So we got surfing lessons and we went out surfing and man, that girl, she popped right up on a surfboard, surfed all the way in that way. And, you know, she just was, constantly living life like always wanting to try stuff even though you know you have this or uh, dialysis or a health like she just found a way to live life um i remember a quick story after our fourth kidney transplant her uncle danny and aunt linda bought us tickets to go skiing at snowball we've never done it before mm -hmm. and uh we go to the doctor's office and she says well my aunt and uncle gave me ski tickets to go skiing can i go skiing dr cohen and he says yeah you can go you just can't fall 
<laughs> um. <laughs> so I was like, well, I guess we're not going skiing. And she goes, what are you talking about? He said, I could go. And I said, baby, it's skiing. You're, you're going to fall. She was like, he said, I go as long as I don't fall. So we went and I'll be honest, she didn't fall. Not once. First time skiing, she didn't fall. I fell all over that mountain, all over the place. She, nope. She gets up there and just, that's just about, you know, living life. So fast forward to Hawaii. We've done those multiple times, hanging out. After that seventh kidney transplant was getting ready to fail, I called up one of our good friends, Sonda. And I said, hey, what are you doing next week? And she goes, what do you need? And I go, well, I want you to go to Hawaii with Cheryl. So we bought a ticket and her a ticket. We sent her to Hawaii. Mm. I knew that she had that she loved it and meant a lot to her. And it was one of the one places where it was her real, real happy place. Something about the ocean, something about being on the beach, just something Mm -hmm. about it just really was comforting for her. And, you know, she, she came back home and the kidney failed. Um, And I remember this was a bad one because these rejections are really bad. They rock your body. And I thought to myself, you know, I thought to myself, wow, where are we going to go? And it was just, it was, it was touch and go. And they put on some bunch of weird medicines and they gave her a medicine one time where she completely checked out. It happened to her earlier where mentally she was gone. Mentally, she was, you know, standing in a corner, holding herself, not communicating, not eating. And um, I remember getting in a fight with a doctor um, and on Good Samaritan floor, I said, well, you have to stop giving her this drug because you know, the kidney's going to go. We know that. And I said, but if her mind goes and she's not who she mm-hmm. is, I, I'm like, we can live with kidney failure because we've been mm-hmm. doing it. I can't, we can't live with her mind completely gone. And right now mm-hmm. you're putting in her state where she may not come back. Mm-hmm. And that was a pretty heated argument. And um, which, you know, you have to have somebody with you that like, if you can't be your advocate, mm-hmm. you have to have somebody that's willing to just stand there and tell these doctors who know more than you and they're happy to tell you that you don't know what you're talking about (laughs) but i'm like i've experienced it i know how she reacts with this so you need to listen to me um and that doctor ended up quitting i ended up having to get an entire different doctor to come in and treat cheryl um because he didn't want to listen and i'm just like you know if you so having someone there that can be your advocate is like so important for people that Mm -hmm. some people want to go it alone. And that's kind of where I took my role up was just like, I'm here, I'm going to do whatever I can to protect Cheryl. And because that's, I think what a spouse should do. A spouse should be that person that is there, you know, rain or shine, you know, sickness and health, as they tell you all those things. And that person is there and they're going to stand by your side. They're going to fight for you. Mm -hmm. And that's why I took upon my mission. Then that's like, I'm not going to take a backseat to Cheryl's healthcare and allow doctors to do what they want because you have to keep pressing these guys. Like, why are you doing this? What's the mm-hmm. outcome of this? What's the, if we don't do this, what's going to happen? If we do do this, mm-hmm. it's still going to lose the kidney, but now I'm going to have all these side effects from these drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was a little bit, you know, that was tough. And so we finally, fortunately, Cheryl came back um, mm-hmm. because we've stopped the drug and I was right. Not, not to toot my horn, but when you experience it, um, makes it tough. So then, you know, and then we just live life. I mean, you know, it was like, we coached, we coached her, her cousins in softball and mm-hmm. we hung out with, mm-hmm. you know, we go to annual Disney trips with her niece and nephew and her brother, Troy and his family. And I mean, we just live life to its fullest with, we never had an expiration date on anything that we did. Um, you know, just like when we were younger, she always, she told me when we first started dating, we were getting serious. She said, you know, I'm probably not going to live to be real old because of what I have. And, um, I said, okay, I get it. You know, I was like, you know, when you're, when you're 19 or 20, you're like, whatever. Yeah. We're 20. What are you talking about? Mm -hmm. Um, it doesn't come into reality until you start, you get a little older and you mature a little bit and start realizing, wow, we have some challenges that we're going to have to overcome. But I think the best thing for us was, is that we never looked at anything like, okay, this is the end. Like it was never, mm-hmm. never, you know, like, oh, this is it. This is it. You know, it was always like, mm-hmm. hey, we're going to come back. So that made it difficult. And then we, um, 
So, you know, so kind of fast forward, it's a lot, you know, we, we were together for 30 years since I was mm. 16. Uh, Cheryl's 15. I taught her how to drive. And, mm-hmm. you know, things are just coming along. And she went in for just a routine, just a routine physical that, that you normally do. Now, she used to go to a kidney doctor every year. And then she would go to her family physician once a year. And mm-hmm. that family physician said, okay, well, let's do a chest x-ray. And I'm like, and so like every time a doctor wanted to do a test, I'm like, why? What's wrong? What are you looking for? What's going on? Mm-hmm. Like, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And um, so we did a chest x-ray and then they called and they said, hey, we need you to come in. And okay, and I think we're, Cheryl was about 40, 43, 42, 43 at that time, 43. And we come in and they're like, well, there's a spot on your lung. We want to kind of, we need to probably send you out and have it taken, you know, to an, uh, a pulmonologist. So they send us to a pulmonologist. They go through all those tests of, you know, hey, we're going to put you in a breathing machine and see how you breathe. We're going mm-hmm. to, you know, take this. Okay, well, we need to do a biopsy. And they did CT scans and we did biopsies and we went back for the results. And, you know, that's when, you know, you're just sitting in the office and you're waiting, and you're, you know, that waiting is the worst. Um, and I think it was worse uh-huh. for me. I think it was worse for me than Cheryl. Um, because I felt like I took on a lot of that. Um, uh-huh. And, uh, you know, and then we sat in that office and I remember, you know, they said, oh, well, it's cancer. And we're like, uh-huh. what? What do you mean lung cancer? What? Do you, what? And, you know, the, I guess the, the problem was is that when you're when you're when you're young and they put so many different kind of medicines in your body to try to get you to keep a kidney Mm -hmm. experimental treatments radiation treatments all kinds of just over-the-top stuff to try to get you to keep that kidney they end up probably having some long-term effects and i think that's where we saw this when she was 43 Mm -hmm. and i was crushed devastated um and I remember getting into the car and I was just sobbing and Cheryl just looks at me and she's like, but I'm going to be okay. And I'm like, how in the hell do you do this? You know? And she's like, well, I'll tell you when to worry. And until then just don't worry, but I'll tell you when you should worry. Okay. So we went over to her mom's and we kind of had to break the news to them. And then, you know, now you're kind of like in this circle, like what's next, what do we do? Um, And we went and met a great doctor down at um, at Dignity Health, uh, Dr. Quo. And he was a a surgeon and uh, said, well, we're just going to have to go in and, um, um, you know, we're going to have to just, we got to go in and they had to take out the lower third of her lobe of her lung. Mm -hmm. And so we're like, okay. And they said, you know, the initial reports were, Hey, it's stage one. It's early. No problem. So we're like, wow. So we just go in and take it out and hopefully it's not going to come back. Um, so we went in, she had surgery. They had removed that lobe. She re- they removed the lobe. Uh, then they got the results back and they said, well, it, 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 I guess there's like five lymph nodes that feed that, that lower part of that organ. And normally when it jumps into a lymph node, it goes into the middle ones first and then works its way out. Like if you spread your finger out like five mm-hmm. fingers, mm-hmm. if it gets to the thumb and the pinky, they can't see if it's gone farther past that. And he says, it's almost, it never ever goes to the thumb or the pinky first. It will always start like on your middle, like the middle and then work its way out. But for Cheryl, for th- the three middle lobes or um, uh, the three middle lymph nodes were, were fine. It was the outside. So now we had to go through chemotherapy because mm-hmm. we don't know mm-hmm. where it's at. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, one more thing. So, and so then we end up having, um, you know, go through chemotherapy and Cheryl started to lose her hair. So we shaved her head. I shaved my head. I had always shaved my head, but I really shaved my head because I said, you know, I got to have longer hair than you mm-hmm. or shorter hair than you. You got to have longer mm-hmm. hair. But, you know, she, even then she went in for, you know, chemotherapy and we ran dialysis and they, even then they were going, we don't, we don't really have a protocol for somebody that's on dialysis getting Mm -hmm. chemotherapy for lung cancer. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of like this, you know, Hey, we're just going to throw everything we can at it and see what happens. Mm -hmm. Um, So it it went well, she did good. Uh, Her scans came back clear and we thought, man. This girl's just keeps going. 
And mm -hmm. so we were really anticipating, you know, we were really looking forward to like, we were watching the University of, of San Francisco has a kidney project going where they're trying to build an artificial kidney. And we're like, mm -hmm. wow, we just mm -hmm. need to make it, you know, another five years and that artificial kidney is going to be out. Let's go, you know, there are all these new technologies that are going to come out and they're going to change and they're going to work for us. So, um, and life was good again. I mean, we just went back to it. I mean, um, we did home hemodialysis, um, meaning that one time when Cheryl was not doing really well with just three days a week, I figured I was like, I need to find something better for her because she's going mm -hmm. in and she was on like three types of blood pressure medicine. And there was just so many things. And, and I said, I have to find something better. And so I kept falling around and I found a spot that they did allow you to do home hemodialysis. They trained you. So I had to take six weeks off and I went and I learned how to become a dialysis nurse, basically. Mm. Um, and when we built our house, we built a house with a dialysis room. In it. And mm -hmm. so it gave us a lot of flexibility and she got up all the blood pressure medicines because we got to be able to do things more. We were able to travel. I mean, they're just, it just really opened up a whole another avenue for us to like do things when we started doing home hemo, which was mm -hmm. great. And, you know, just trying to think where the, and, and just, it was just life. You know, uh, Jessica, it was just kind of like, we just kind of just kept going. We never looked mm -hmm. at, I guess, the. Uh, we just never looked at, you know, as anything other than just, hey, we just, the way we do things, we just keep going. Mm -hmm. And and that's just the way you attack life, I think, is that you just have to have this, this perseverance just to keep pushing yourself through things. And you're going to be faced with all kinds of adversity in your life. But how do you just you know, you, you have to not let it like bog you down and be an anchor. You just have to try to push forward and push through. That's what Cheryl always taught. So it's probably about three years after that. Um, Cheryl just wasn't doing very good. She was having a hard time catching her breath again. Mm -hmm. And we went into the hospital and they're like, Oh, it looks like you have pneumonia. I'm like, okay, that's really weird. We got pneumonia. Okay. So they did a chest x-ray and then they're like, well, you got a lot of fluid on your lungs. So they wanted to tap the lung and they wanted to get the fluid off the lung. Uh -huh. And I remember distinctly being in that room with her and I was, um, and she was just miserable. She was in so much pain from it that they tapped it. And it's all I saw was just straight blood coming out. Mm. And um, I remember looking at the doctor and I said, is that normal? And they're like, no. And I was like, oh, okay, well, uh -huh. let's see what it is. So, you know, she went back to the room. She felt better that that got taken off. We were going to get discharged from the hospital. And um, I went home to kind of get some things ready. And then she called me and, and uh, she just said, it's cancer. And I'm like, what? And she's like, yeah, it's bad. And so they said, let her come home. And we had to have some tests done. And, you know, at that point, um, you know, it, it, uh, it was, uh, we got the results and it was stage four at that point mm -hmm. because of the reoccurrence. And mm -hmm. I remember driving home from the hospital. And so I remember driving home and you get this horrible news and you kind of know what stage four is, even if you want to try to like, no, well, maybe I can do this or maybe I can do that or whatever. It's just kind of one of those things where you just know the statistics. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the statistics and, and um, you know, I guess the best thing I can give anybody advice is it's always good to find out about your disease and what there is there, but mm -hmm. try not to look at statistics because mm -hmm. it will just really, really ruin your day mm -hmm. um, when you do that. And it, and I remember sending the stoplight at, at 67th and Happy Valley Road and she knew I was just devastated. And she was more concerned about how I was, she was more concerned about me mm -hmm. and how I was going to take it than herself. Like she was just so sorry that she had to tell anybody of her family that this was happening. Mm -hmm. She, you know, felt miserable. And I just, and I was, she sat there at the light and she looked at me and she said, I'm not scared. Hmm. I know where I'm going, bud. Don't be scared. If I can beat it, I'm going to beat it. You know, me. I said, I know. So, so we came home and then we were just kind of waiting. We we're waiting for this, 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 hey, they're genoming. They're doing the genome of it. Uh -huh. They're going to run a, you know, oh, well, if, if, if it's this kind, it's this kind, there's this new experimental drug that she could take. And it was really, they talked to us, it's, it's not a matter of, we can't cure it, but we could try to manage it. And we're like, okay, well, maybe we can manage it. And 
we just got the authorization to do this drug, which is like stupid money. I mean, it's like $15,000 for a month's supply of this drug. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and you're just like, how is that even possible in our world that mm -hmm. anybody would have to pay $15,000 for a drug that might save their life? Mm -hmm. And it's just, it, it was asinine. And the fact that it, we got it approved. And so we were getting ready to start it, but then, then everything started to unravel. So Cheryl ended up getting a clot in her arm and ended up having, had to have surgery on her arm and she lost a half of the bottom of her arm, but then she went, just totally checked out catatonic. Um, didn't know what was going on. And then I called to have, we had her at home and not getting a lot better. And I decided one day morning, I was just like, I got to call the ambulance. I mean, there's nothing I can do here. Mm -hmm. And I called the ambulance and they took her into the hospital. And um, this was coming up about, this was just about three years ago. It was three years ago, mm -hmm. um, October 11th. So she went into the hospital. And when I got there, they said she stopped breathing on the way in. Mm. And I was like, and they got her back. And then they, you know, then the whole roller coaster of, you know, in ICU, um, intubation. I mean, just a, a lot of stuff I don't, that it's just horrible. I mean, mm -hmm. you, you're going through it, but I was there every day. I was there talking to the doctors. I was there understanding what was going on. Um, and I just kept telling the doctors, I said, she, I go, she will she was out. I'm like, she will come back to me. She always comes back. She will come back to me. She's not going to, you know, I go, she's going to be, she'll get, she'll come away. And they're like, well, we just need you to be prepared. And what do you want to, you know, and they start giving you all those situations. And I'm just like, well, I wasn't hearing any of it because I knew my girl was a fighter. And I was like, she's not going to just check out like that. Mm -hmm. That's not her. That's not Cheryl. Um, and I was there and I talking to her and then, you know, slowly, after on, on the ventilator, off the ventilator, on a ventilator, and then off for the third time, she woke up and ran and was just like talking and we were <laughs> up and, and um, it was like truly remarkable that she was in so much pain, so much pain. Um, her dialysis access failed. So we had to get a new dialysis port put in, which she didn't have any more spots on her body where we could do it. And they've just mm -hmm. put one right into her chest in the middle of the chest. Mm -hmm. um, and, but she was, she like improved, like rapidly improved. And it was like, wow. And they like three days later, we're moving her out of the ICU unit. They're going to start giving her new drugs. And we're like, oh my gosh, this is great. I go, and the doctors are just looking at me like, oh my God, you told us, but we can't believe this. Mm -hmm. And my brother was in town with me for about a week. And then, um, you know, so Cheryl, um, we were in the, I guess, I don't know, the telemetry floor or whatever it is after the ICU. And, um, you know, she was just really in a lot of pain, very uncomfortable, but we talked a lot and held each other and loved on each other. And, um, and then the la there was a night that um, my brother was going home the next day. And I said, well, bro, I'll stay. I'm going to stay here. And I'll just come pick you up in the morning or go. And Cheryl says, no, and she's just real soft because she was so weak. It's like, go home and spend time with your brother. He's leaving tomorrow. And then come see me after, after that. So I was like, okay, baby, you know, we ate dinner. I gave her a kiss, told her I loved her and I went home. And then I got a call at 4.30 in the morning and said that her heart stopped. Hmm. And, um, you know, you just like, no, I was just talking. We were just talking about going to come home. What the mm -hmm. fuck are you talking about, man? Mm -hmm. Like you're, who, you're, you're lying to me. You know, I'm screaming and my brother comes. And at that point, you know, everything just stopped. Life mm -hmm. just stopped. Like it just was not real. Like I was in a dream. Um, and um, I was crushed. I was devastated. I, I didn't know any way to go. Um, uh, I just, you're just so shocked and you're so stunned by it. And, you know, I have a lot of people talk that, you know, well, you know, you guys were, cause I mean, we just were together. If she was in the hospital. I was in the hospital every day. I'd sleep in the hospital. I'd go to work. I'd come back. I'd sleep in the hospital. I was always at the hospital. And 
you know, some people say they always give you this to try to make you feel better. You know, like she wouldn't have passed if you didn't believe she wouldn't have done this. She wouldn't have done that. Mm -hmm. And the biggest part of me is that I always struggle with and I look back on and it's tough to try not to go down, you know, try not to go down the rabbit hole of what if, what if I did this? Mm -hmm. Why did I do that? If I wouldn't have left, she wouldn't have died. If I didn't leave that hospital room, she would have stayed. She would, she would, she would all these things that I wanted to try to, I was just searching for reasons and thoughts and, and everything. And, um, and it was, it was tough. Um, it wasn't tough. It just sucked. I, like everything I knew, everything I loved was gone. Mm-hmm. Um, I had family and friends to support me and it was, everybody was here. And so you get that and you just like, how do you, I don't even know how to move forward. I didn't even know yeah. if I was going to be able to move forward, how I was going to move forward, what I was going to do, but I had my family here. And everybody was there and I had so much support. And, you know, after, um, after losing Cheryl, um, I, I just felt like I didn't have anything else to go for. And it, not that I was mm-hmm. ever suicidal or anything, but I just mm-hmm. didn't give a shit. I didn't yeah. care. Like I didn't, I didn't care whether anything happened. I didn't care. And I started drinking, um, mm-hmm. really heavy. I started drinking and, um, to the point where I was drinking almost like a liter and a half of vodka every day and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, I got myself sick from it. Um, I got, it was just a really bad situation for me to be in. And then I thought to myself, after I, I got pancreatitis and I had to go to the hospital because I drank so much alcohol, mm-hmm. um, I was like, I'm never drinking again. And then when I was sitting in the hospital, the doctor's like, Hey, I don't ever tell anybody this, but I, there's, there is a, there is a, a young girl behind you. Mm. She looks young. I can see her and she has her hands on your shoulders mm. and she's worried about you. And I distinctly remember my brother sitting there because you couldn't see the dog. My brother looks around the doctor and looks at me like these big guys, like, are you kidding me? What, what's mm. this guy saying? This was probably four, five, six months after Cheryl passed. And um, I just like that day I woke up and I said, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to drink anymore. And the, the, the challenge of, you know, you have is, is when everybody leaves, like you're like, you, you have so much support and love when, when that like event happens in your life, mm-hmm. there's so many people that rally to your side mm-hmm. and they're there for support and they're there to help you. And they're there to get you through it. And they pick you up. Well, eventually people go home mm-hmm. and yeah. when they go home, it's just you and the dog and four walls. Mm-hmm. And you're like, even though you have friends, you don't feel like calling anybody. You don't feel mm-hmm. like talking to a whole lot of people. My, as I said earlier, Cheryl always called me Pollyanna because I'd wake up and I'd, I'd sing in the shower and get my day started. You know, I replaced singing in the shower with crying in the shower. Mm-hmm. And I've had some of the best cries I've ever had in the shower. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, um, I don't know what it is, but it's a good place that I feel like I can get it out and so I kind of learned that it's real healthy to cry Mm -hmm. and I know everybody says that it's healthy but I mean really when you experience this to just be able to have that emotional just that outburst of anger and sadness and hurt and everything that you have bottled up in you you just want to scream because you don't know why this is taking away from you Mm -hmm. and then at the end of the day you just think to yourself it's like that crying became like to me, it became one of those moments where it helped reset me. It helped get me focused. And I always hate the f- term of like um, moving on. You're like, you have to move on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, I'm like, look, you know what? I move on from a bad relationship. I move on from bad mm-hmm. food. I move on from, you know, a friend that is, you know, a wacko. I mean, you move uh-huh. on from things in life that are good for you. That's why right. you move on. You're, you're to change. And so I always say, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm sure I'm, it's not anything I've done, but I always consider it like, I'm just living on. Right. And, um, you know, living on is the only thing I can do. And, and the thing that I, I, I kind of came to the realization was is that I have this tremendous gift, which is life. And I was with the most remarkable individual I think you could ever meet. And the zeal and the zest that that girl had for life mm-hmm. and to everything that she did, it's like, who am I to piss this thing away that I have? 
-hmm. and pick yourself up. And then as I'm getting through that stage where I'm trying to finally realize where I need to move, there's the note. Hmm. I'm messing around in a drawer one day and here's a note and it's a note from Cheryl and it's a note basically in the sum of hey I love you there's a lot of I love you and a lot of this north and south and everything that we had together but it was more importantly it was her telling me I want you to go live your life I want you to find someone that makes you happy hmm. I want you to move forward I want you to continue to do all the things that make you good and I'm like, wow, you know, this was a letter, though, that was probably written 10 years ago, 15 years ago, well before this was on. Because I think she always had an understanding of where she was. And so this was a little note that was stashed there. Well, then I was like, oh, that's kind of cute. Maybe I just missed. Then I found another one. Mm. And then another one. And then another one. And they were just stashed in weird places out in my garage and in a cut in a drawer that I haven't opened in years. And I was sitting in the garage one day and I said, I gotta, I gotta move, I gotta get rid of that cabinet. I open it up and there's a note sitting on top of it. So even even then, I think she knew that I was gonna need to hear some stuff from her. And mm -hmm. and so she planted these things for me to find. I think I'm up to like six notes so far. I think I found them all, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it was her way of, you know, giving me that permission to live on. Mm -hmm. It was her way of letting me know, don't give up what you have. Mm -hmm. And from that, I just try to take and be empowered from that. And, um, you know, I, I try to focus on as much positivity as I can in my life. I try to have people around me that love and support me, that want to be around me and try to push as much negativity away as I can. Um, you know, I used to just, I just wanted to be around people that really just wanted to be around me and, yeah. um, and, that, and that's what I needed. But the fact that Cheryl gave me this permission to kind of like, her notes were just so, I don't know the right word to say. Um, they just gave me this sense of that she was still there and that she was still <laughs> like being, being, you know you know, being my supporter, being, you know, my best friend, still mm -hmm. giving me that insight. And the fact that she did that for me was really remarkable. Um, mm -hmm. And it, you know, I, I, I feel like I, at times, you know, I feel like I'm in bizarro world. Um, I feel like what I have is like, this isn't real still. And it's been three years and it still feels at times where it just doesn't, it feels like, like it just happened yesterday. And then sometimes mm -hmm. it seems like it's been an eternity that I've seen her face and watched her smile and her tell me that, Hey, handsome, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and so, you know, you take those times and you, and you realize that it's, I'm, I'm, I'm so fortunate that I have all those memories and I have uh, everything that she's there and she's still, you know, I talk about Cheryl every day. Um, she comes to my mind every day. I play a music or a song for her um, just because I know I'm like, hey, if you're here with me, I'm going to play a song for you. And um, and I just try to pick pick up and just keep moving forward. And so I, I've been kind of focusing on trying to uh, stay as positive as I can, because, you know, the negativity is a thing in your life that when you hit these roads, I think that they can be such an anchor on your soul that you tend to start forgetting how to live life and you start forgetting to recognize the good things about life because you just feel like when it happens to you, you just feel like everything's shit. Nothing's good. I'm sorry for my language. Um, <laughs> right. Everything's bad. And, um, but the fact that, um, I realized that I could pick myself up and I could, um, th that the sun came up the next day, you know, that, mm -hmm. that you feel like it's the end of the world and life keeps going on. And you're either going to be a part of life or you're going to be on the sidelines and you're going to be miserable. So based upon, you know, Cheryl and her, her love of life and just every, you know, just, just her letters and everything, it just allowed me to like really just pick myself up and be like, all right, you got this, you know, mm -hmm. it's her like cheering me on, you know, and, you know, there'd yep. be a little sign somewhere. So for me, it's like, um, I, I feel like you're with this person so, like so long and then you just have 
you know, this emptiness. And then you think, mm -hmm. what should I do? Should I do this? Should I do that? Should I sell my house? Should I do this? Should I, and you go through all these things and you just realize, just settle, just mm -hmm. settle. And, and, I, and when I say settle, I mean, you just calm yourself. Don't jump around to a bunch of decisions. Don't think that you have to do anything. And I think the biggest thing that I learned too was, is don't make decisions that you think other people want you to make. Mm -hmm. You know, don't like, yo, you should live your life to this agenda, or this is how you mm -hmm. should do things. You have to understand what works for you. And when you make decisions, you make decisions on how you feel, not how you think other people are going to perceive mm -hmm. the decisions that you make. Um, because the, the challenge with that is they're, they're not walking in your shoes. Mm -hmm. They're not there. You know, when you're 24 seven in it and you live it, like I did with Cheryl 24 seven, you know, I was there with dialysis, with doctor's mm -hmm. appointments, with all of that. And, you know, people think you should do something different or, mm -hmm. you know, I always hate the phrase. I think I shared with you that my, my brother was like, you, you got to have time to mourn for Cheryl. And I'm like, well, Tell me when that ends. Tell, tell me when, you know, I, I'm not going to mourn the loss mm -hmm. of my wife. Tell me when I'm not going to wake up one day and just, oh, well, I'm done. I'm not going to cry anymore. I'm over it. I'm okay. Because it never happens, bro. It never happens. Right. So when people tell you that, you're just like, you have no idea what you're talking about. Unless you've walked in my shoes and you've experienced it, you just don't know. And there's so many people that think that they want to, you know, they want to give you advice for stuff. Mm -hmm. And most of the times I just want people to know, I just need you to be a friend. I don't need you yep. to fix anything. I just need mm -hmm. you to be a friend and listen to me. If I needed something, I'm going to ask you, but I would just, I don't, don't try to tell me or like, I wouldn't do that. Or I wouldn't do this. or I wouldn't do that mm -hmm. because it, it really stunts your growth as um, someone when you're trying to get through that kind of ordeal. And for me, I mean, I had, I know it seems like, I feel like I'm going through this so fast because I certainly remember I talk, I'm talking a lot easier about it three years down the road. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it is, um, it's just, it's, you know, when, when, I don't know, it's, it's hard to, um, unless you've been there, it's just hard to get your mind about it. And yeah. um, so, you know, the thing about Cheryl was, is that she just gave me this fight to live. And so I try to stay positive as I can. I think that the, um, you know, every day, like I've, it took me a while where I always kind of live my life with like, with Cheryl, unfortunately, like when you go, it's like, you know, that things are really, really good and they're really, really good. And you're in that pocket and things are going well and she's feeling good and things are good. Mm -hmm. And that kidney transplant, yeah. but you're always holding your breath, waiting for the next shoe to drop. Like, what's it going to be next? Because it was always something next, always something next, always something yeah. next. And it's, it's, um, and I felt like I took on a lot of that worry for Cheryl and I just let Cheryl be Cheryl and she worried about me, but I took a lot of that on, but you know, when, when you live your life like that, um, it, it was hard for me now that I'm by myself, I just keep waiting that, Hey, is something else going to happen? Mm, is something mm -hmm. going to drop? And it, it's okay for me to like, I'm just now finally learning. Like it, it's okay. Like there's, there's don't live your life fearing the unknown because you can't control it. Mm -hmm. I can't control something that's, that hasn't happened. Um, so trying to like put your mind at a point where, and not play the what if game, mm -hmm. you know, and, and we do that so much as, as humans, I yes, think we do. We, we do meaning that, you know, well, here's my diagnosis. What's the worst possible outcome of that diagnosis? And our brain goes right to it. Mm -hmm. Our brain goes to that like bad spot right away. And there are some people in life that don't do that. You know, there are some people that just kind of go, okay, well, it's just one foot in front of the other. And they're very rare. And, you know, from a, from a, uh, uh, from a human standpoint, like my, your mind always wants to like, you know, you, you, I don't know why we do it. It's, it's a really crazy thing um, for, for people to do that. So it took me a while to get through yeah. that. And yeah, I just feel like I, I'm, I'm a fortunate, I'm a blessed man, even with everything that's happened to me. Um, I'm, I, 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 I'll share a thing where I always was asking the question, why, why, why? And then with Cheryl's history, you know, a lot of sometimes you're like, well, you know, it was, you know, statistically where we were at, it was probably not a matter of why, it's just a matter of when, and that's what it was. 
Mm-hmm. But, and I don't know if you're spiritual or not. I share this with people. I don't have this. Um, uh, it's not verbatim, but if you look it up, it's, uh, it's a, it's a verse in the Bible. Um, it's Isaiah 57 chapter one, and two, uh, chapters one and two. And, and what it says is it says, sometimes a righteous person dies and no one seems to ask or wonder why. And sometimes a righteous person dies to protect them from the evil to come. Mm-hmm. And I took solace in that statement because, um, like with Cheryl, with where we were at and with what she had, it was going to be a really painful journey. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it was not going to be good. It was going to be hard. It was going to be tough. And this girl fought so hard for her whole life. I just feel like um, that verse sums up the where God came to Cheryl and said, you know, you've had, you've had a great fight. And it's only going to get worse for you. So let me protect you from all the bad stuff that's going to come. Mm-hmm. And I think that if you have, uh, and, and, I'm not, and I'm not trying to be a, a, a Bible thumper or anything like that, but if you have a feeling of spirituality, if you believe in a higher power, if you believe whatever you believe in, um, mm-hmm. if you get that opportunity where God comes to you and says, I'm going to take away your pain and come on home, you take it. And I think that she took it. And, and I, I understand why I understand why it was like, okay, I'm done fighting. Um, it doesn't make it easier for everybody that's here, but to know that she didn't have to go through, you know, all the surgeries and transforming dialysis and all yeah. the stuff that was going to come that Bible verse actually really helped me kind of like, like center myself, mm-hmm. like get a better understanding of why something like this could happen. Um, so we all ask why. I'm sure, we, you know, I mean, I, I know that, you know, you always ask why, why am I having this happen to me? Why is this doing this? Why is God doing this to me? And mm-hmm. it's not necessarily that it's just a matter of life, but that really helped me kind of get to the point to where I could start to look at things in a different light. And so I've just been trying to be as much positive as I can. I, I, in my, I do Facebook post every Friday mm-hmm. now um, where I kind of, in my Facebook post with, you know, go out and have a great weekend, surround yourself with people that, that love and support you and push away any and all negative because there are people and it's sad that there are people in your life, friends that they just, they, and it's really sad to say this. I don't know how a good friend of it. There are people out there that just want to hear that someone's miserable. Mm-hmm. that someone's having a hard time that someone's this or that you know the o's and stuff so i just try to put a positive spin on it i try to put a a, a thing on there where um because i have i have negative people in my life and mm-hmm. i just choose not to have them around anymore because i can't and it bugged me for a while but at the end of the day i can't have i can't allow that to be an anchor yeah and i can't let it drag me down and it takes away from everything that i want i don't want to live the go down the rabbit hole and think of the worst last, you know, last two months of Cheryl's life and how miserable it was being in and out of the hospital. I want to, I want to celebrate her life. Mm-hmm. I want to stand up and I want to tell how incredible this girl was. I want to post a picture of her surfing. I want to, mm-hmm. you know, tell good stories about her. And I just want people to do, to know that <clears throat> what an inspiration she was. And some people miss that. Some people miss the boat on that. I think at times when they don't take the time to celebrate their loved one and instead they want to wallow in it and they want to be, and I'm saying that, that you need a good amount of wallow. Trust me. Like yeah. you need a yeah. real good amount of wallow. You need a lot of crying and sadness and heartbreak. Mm-hmm. And you have to go through those seven stages of, of, you know, of death grief. Uh, yeah. grief or whatever they say, you know, and you know, I, I, I moved through a lot of them pretty quick it was like boom 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 and then it just kind of you just kind of sunk in there and you kind of hit that depression mode and it's like wow i can't do this because i ended up really hurting myself so mm-hmm. i just try to be as positive i can um knowing that someday i i've always said this god when my time comes don't don't uh don't be sad don't be sad just i went to see a girl you know mm-hmm. and i'm good um so I try to, uh, that's how I try to approach life every day as much as I can is just try to be positive and try to look for the good things in life, you know? Yeah. And- but I did want to talk to you about 
um, your posts because I shared with you in our one-on-one call that um, I look forward to your posts. And I didn't know that you were doing them on Fridays. Um, I just knew I would go, oh, there's a bud post. And it would just lift my spirits. And I would think, you know, after everything that he has done in his life and everything that he's been through, how does he stay so resilient? And, and I know you grieved and I know you still grieve. Um, that doesn't just go away after any certain amount of time. But I looked forward to your posts. They would lift my spirits no matter what was going on. And I, I hope that you know that in doing so, you are helping so many other people. You are modeling resiliency. It's okay to hurt. It's okay to cry. It's okay mm-hmm. to have emotions. And it's okay to have good days and see the beauty in life. And so I appreciate your posts so much. Um, and we are a resiliency site. That's what we talk about all the time, every day. And I still look forward to your posts. So now I know to look for them every Friday. I didn't know that you were doing that. Well, um, I, I, I try to do the summation on that one where I talk about have a great weekend. I always do a Friday. But even when I do a post, like I did a post, um, you know, I went and watched my niece, Emma, who's playing uh-huh, tackle football. Uh-huh. You know, and I just try to um, keep my post to something that I want to share that's positive. And um, especially in this day and age with everything that's going on in our world, um, whether you're right, whether you're left, whether you're up, whether you're down, I don't care. It's just it's so easy to get bogged down in the minutia of negativity. And, you know, I can turn on, I don't care what news network you watch, it's negativity. It's just so much negativity. It's just meant to like put you down and scare you and make you afraid. Mm -hmm. And I just don't want to put that out there. I want to put positive vibes out for people. I want to, um, you know, and I I don't, I I tried to adjust myself to the point where it's like, you know, I guess it's the old adage, you know, if you can't say something good, don't say anything at all. Mm -hmm. And I just try to do that with my posts as I constantly try to focus on the positive and not focus on negative stuff. And yeah. I, I, I appreciate the fact that you tell me that posts help you. Um, Very much. There, there are a lot of about of it is a lot of it is help for me because I go back and I read those posts and, um, and I read, you know, just little things and memories that I have like are great. And I just, um, I, I, I really makes me feel good that you feel some positivity coming from it. And, um, that's kind of what I was trying to kind of, in, kind of, in, you know, put out there um, that, you know, bad things happen to people mm-hmm. and um, it doesn't mean it's the end of everything that you have. And Cheryl taught me that more than anything is that um, no matter what you face in life, you face it with, you know, you face it head on and you face it with your chin up and you face it with a positive attitude. And life just tends to be better when you're positive, you know, happiness is a choice, Mm -hmm. you know, um, a lot of people think that like, are you happy? Well, I don't know. Well, you can choose. You're either happy or not, but it's a choice through thick and thin, you know, that girl made me happy through everything we ever went through. So it was good. I have had a blessed life, Jessica, a blessed life. She was, she was an amazing lady. And I will say full disclosure. I knew Cheryl. <laughs> She's a family member. So for me, this story is so much more personal um, and impactful. But I can tell you with all sincerity, wholeheartedness, she would be so proud of you. Huh. Um, but I really do believe that she would, and she is proud of you. And even in your tough times, I I feel that she was there with you and helped you through them, like you said, and she's watching over you now and is proud of you. Um, and you were an amazing husband. Well, I appreciate the kind words. I mean, I, uh, you know, Cheryl made me who I am today. You know, I mean, when I'm 16, you know, we talk about the funny thing with men, I think is, is that, you know, we all try to be these big and tough, strong guys, but we're not as strong as everybody thinks they are, or they're not. It's just, yeah. That, the women in our lives and our wives and our spouses and whether it's, you know, a woman, a man, I don't care, but your spouse, your loved one, the one that supports you, the one that you, you know, your ride or die person, you know, uh-huh. um, they have such an impact on you and who you are as a person. And Cheryl was one of those people that just made me better. 
Yep. Made yeah. she made me better. And yeah. I was I'm a better man today because of that woman in my life, that girl in my life. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I wouldn't have a lot of what I have if it wasn't for her. And we were a good team. Yes. And I was just gonna say that that I'm I personally being from the outside looking in on you both since I was little feel that you also helped her be a better person. I mean, she was an incredible human, Mm -hmm. but you did for her and her positivity and helped her with the struggles as much as she did for you and helped with your positivity and helped with the struggles. She always had you there. Um, So uh, I mean, I, we could go on and on <laughs> with stories about Cheryl. Um, we just could. She's an amazing person. Um, I do want to thank you so much for your time today and for sharing. I feel like this was such a great way to honor Cheryl, but also to honor you and how you are a resiliency role model. Um, Cheryl was your role model. She was mine growing up. Um, and now you are a role model for everyone else. And I appreciate your time today so much. Thank you for listening to And Life Happened. We hope you enjoyed this episode and will continue to listen and like our podcast. If you would like to support our podcast, you can do so by sharing this with others to build our community of resilience. To stay updated on the latest information, please follow us at and underscore life happened on Instagram. If you would like to share your life happened story of resilience, please complete the form in our Instagram bio. These are our personal stories and we are not mental health professionals. This is not a substitute for professional medical advice and should not be relied on as health or personal advice. Thank you.